0: So the Bible says this in 1 Samuel 17:1. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephesdamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and they encamped in the Valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you, the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And may the Lord bless his word as we have it read into our hearts today. In uh, Israel, there were uh, times in which they would go to battle. This was not unusual. What would happen is about every year they had battle season, much like we have football season, only this was more deadly. Now, the way the battle seasons would work, that this was the time that border disputes and problems between nations were solved by normal war that was going on and they would have these battles on their borders. In this case, The battle was between the forces of Israel and the forces of the Philistines. It's ironic, isn't it, that here we are separated by nearly 3,000 years and there's still conflict in the same area with the same uh, locations uh, and maybe even to some degree the same people's descendants. But this battle between the forces of the Philistines and the forces of Israel was a battle that was yet to actually take part. They hadn't actually had the battle. And as you learn from this story, we learn that in uh, the case of the Philistines, they were led by a true giant named Goliath. Now Gath was one of the Philistine cities and he was from Gath and he was so tough that nobody wanted to fight him and understandably so. Look at the size of the man. He was six cubits high in a span Now, if you're conservative and you use the one foot and a half per cubit, that gets you to nine feet, and then you got to add some inches onto that. So well above nine feet tall is a huge man. Some of the details about Goliath that you might not have understood, but his armor was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Well, I mean, I I can just take even a penny Uh, if you've ever... uh, had pennies and wrapped them up in those rolls, you know, it, after a while, if you have like 10 or $20 worth of pennies, that's pretty heavy. But we're talking here 5,000 shekels of coins, basically of bronze, which has got to be much heavier. I mean, if you add silver dollars and you had 5,000 of them, that is a very heavy thing to wear. His, uh, Spear was like a weaver's beam, it says, and we learned that the tip of the spear was the weight in modern calculations of a small bowling ball. So just think about throwing a spear with the end of the spear, the weight of a small bowling ball. So this man is a true giant of a man. And the last verse that I read to you expresses what probably is one of the great understatements of history. It says, that when they heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And I can understand that. So we begin part three of the story of David. David's a very important character in the Bible, vital. In fact, the entire Bible to this point has led us to David. And David is central because it will be through David that God will establish a kingdom and it will be the throne of David that we'll learn about in the Christmas story that God would provide a man to sit on that throne who will be brought to rule Israel. So David is the one who establishes that throne. But remember, we learned in part one that the background of David was not too, uh, how shall I say it? He was very obscure in his background. He was the eighth son so think about that. He, he did not have his, his uh, being number one son, two, three. No, he was the eighth son of Jesse. He lived in Bethlehem. They stuck him out to watch all the sheep. But David wisely spent his time so that he learned how to play a musical instrument or instruments. And he was very faithful in learning how to protect his sheep and goats. And he was able to fight off uh, animals and he learned other skills, which will prove to be important in this story. We also know that in part two, we learned that when King Saul was uh, afflicted with an evil spirit that the Lord sent to him to afflict him because he's being punished, that the only relief he had was through music. And because David played music and had a good reputation, he was... Uh, asked to come and help King Saul and he did. He played music and he helped King Saul. This gave David valuable experience in the court of a king and taught him the manners of a court and taught him how things go on in uh, the uh, king's offices. And that, that's gonna to prove to be important. Uh, my first job that I had that other than mowing a yard, mowing a yard and pulling weeds was my, probably my first jobs uh, that I ever got paid for. But, but my first job as far as getting federal income tax uh, with the actually withheld money was being a janitor in a church, a big church. Now, not a small church. This church had like 42 separate toilets. So it was big and it was a, a large church but what I enjoyed, and this is, but while working in that church, I learned so much about church, believe it or not, by just cleaning church and cleaning uh, the carpets and, and vacuuming and sweeping. And, and, and I even learned how to use that little machine, you know, that when you, you it, it sometimes takes you on a ride, the one that buffs the, the floors, you know. Boy, now that is fun if you learn how to do it. But, uh, and when you first get started, that thing will take you any, where you don't want to go, trust me. But (laughs) it'll take you around. That's exactly right. So uh, David had experience in dealing with these highfalutin people, but now they're in battle. Now, what you may not know is that David's older brothers, we're at the scene of the battle. And we're gonna learn how David fits into this story. Now, this story has to be one of the two most famous stories. It's the most famous story about King David. So what I'm gonna tell you today, i preached before, uh, and I think most preachers will try to preach this message ever so many years because it's just so important, the story of David and Goliath. But it's the... There's also the second most famous story of David, uh, which is the story of him and Bathsheba. And the first story is glorious and wonderful. The second is tragic and infamous. And most people wanna, if I'm David, I'd get tired of people telling that story on me, but they're both important because in both cases, God's mercy is seen. And God's mercy is what we're gonna talk about. So let's learn about David and Goliath today and let's see how this battle takes place. It's a very unlikely battle. Remember, David's nowhere near the scene at this moment. So it says in verse 12, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons, And the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. Now, David was born to Jesse when he was an old man, and he had, literally, David had cousins or nephews that were the same age as he was. This is gonna prove to be important in our study of his life. But David is the youngest son of an old man. And it says in verse 13, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days morning and evening. So we've got this this Philistine who keeps challenging. Now it sounds like to me that neither army really wanted to fight. It sounds like to me that Goliath knew he could take on anybody one-on-one and he's just thinking this will be much easier if I just fight, kill one of their guys, and then the, the other guys will serve us. So that was what he would do every day for 40 days. And he kept taunting them and taunting them. And this got old. Then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah, which is something like a bushel of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare, and bring back news of them." So what is David told to do? David has left Saul, because Saul's at battle now, and he is in Bethlehem, and his dad is a little worried, because they've been out there a month and a half nearly, and he hasn't got word, and they're running out of supplies, so he sends David with supplies. He also gives a gift to the captain over the men which is not, you know, that at least, he was trying to protect his own children, obviously, and he wants the captain to, to be thinking about these young men, not as numbers, but as real people. Think about that. If you're going to battle, one of the hardest things is to lose your friends, and so if you can, if you're a commander, and you don't know your men very well, you're more apt to send them into dangerous places than you would be somebody you know. And I think Jesse's just trying to protect his uh, men and his sons. But now, do you think that, that, that he had to twist David's arm to go to this battle? No way. Remember what we learned earlier. David was a guy who was a fighter, okay? He was fierce. He knew he had, how many times had he fought his older brothers. And when he was a little kid, they'd beat him all the time, but he he trained himself to where he probably was competitive with them and established a reputation. We know that on his resume, he was called a mighty man of valor, which doesn't happen without at least showing yourself to be brave. So he was a brave young man. He was physically fit and he was skilled in several areas. So I don't think that he had to be asked twice to go to see what was going on at the battle. So in verse 19 of chapter 17, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning. Like I said, you get a teenager up early in the morning, you gotta be motivated, right? Right? He was motivated. He didn't wait. He got up early in the morning to get there. He left the sheep with a keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. What this amounts to is a mighty big pep rally, right? They're all shouting and cheering for their side, but they still haven't fought a full war yet. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. I think fear is a natural part of life, isn't it? When you have fear, when you see somebody who you know you cannot defeat, but it doesn't have to be a person. Maybe it's a circumstance. Maybe it's a condition. Maybe it's something that's so big that you don't know how in the world you can defeat it. In that sense, that is a Goliath you, And it could be a world situation. It could be something that you have no idea how you're going to win. And so those bad giants that you see that threaten your life or cause you to be fearful, those are things that you don't know how to overcome. And in this story, we know that they, the people of Israel, an entire army, were all afraid individually of this one giant. So David heard these words in verse 23 and in 24, and all the men of Israel when they saw the man fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. That's number one will give him his daughter, that's number two, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel, that's number three. So there is a reward for the one who can defeat Goliath. He'll get lots of riches, money. He will be a prince in Israel by marrying the king's daughter. That will make you a prince in Israel. Not too bad of a deal for any young man. And then his father, Father's family will be exempt from taxes. A lot of people, that's enough to motivate many people today to go sign up and fight a battle. But he heard this, but David is a shrewd young man. And when he hears what the reward is, he doesn't take that at face value. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? and takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is David again, who took any attack or any insult to God's people as a personal insult and as an insult to God. David was fiercely a defender of the Lord and his name. He would not tolerate anybody insulting God in his presence or insulting God's people in his presence. That's how much he fiercely defended the Lord. So he he was told the three rewards, but he asked others the same question. And the people answered him in this manner saying, so shall be done for the man who kills him. So they verified that that indeed was the reward. Three rewards, great riches, to become a prince by marrying Saul's daughter, and by having his family tax exempt. Now, what do you think is gonna happen when David's brothers see David hanging around the warriors and talking among them? Can you imagine the older brother, Eliab? Well, here's what he said in verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother heard when he spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. Isn't it interesting Sometimes our family make us more mad than the devil. Isn't that sad? We get more mad by our family than the devil. Now, in this case, the devil's agent is Goliath. It's kind of easy to see that Goliath is the devil's agent here, but Eliab's not mad at Goliath. He's mad at his brother for getting in there and talking and probably in his eye, acting out of turn. Because remember, to him, David's just the pipsqueak. He's just the small little fella who you know, doesn't have any business there. Leave it to the professional soldiers, to the older men. And he said in verse 28, Why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. He says, you've got a job to do. And I bet you left that job so you could go down here and I wanna know who's taking care of the sheep. So he's giving him a hard time. Now there's nothing unusual here. We know brothers and sisters fight. We know siblings have rivalries and we know siblings can be uh, harshly uh, uh, accusatory. And so he's accusing David of just getting out of his job so he can come get into trouble. Now David defends himself but doesn't spend too much time doing so. And David said, what have I done now? (laughs) What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Don't I have a reason? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. In other words, asked the question again. He's trying to make sure that the reward is determined and is real, because he's not a fool. David's no fool. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. (laughs) So Saul heard that there was a guy interested in fighting. Now, nobody had applied for this job, surprisingly, and uh, or not surprisingly. I mean, I wouldn't wanna fight this guy, and I guarantee you I wouldn't. But there was somebody inquiring about it and David made it known that he was interested. And so they summoned David. And David said, you all don't need to worry. Don't be afraid, I'll handle this. That is quite a brave young man. He's either a foolish young man or he's very brave. We're gonna find out which one. So uh, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And, And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are a youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. Well, that's true. David was young and Goliath was very experienced. So all the advantages you would think are with Goliath. And Saul was wise enough to know this. It makes me wonder why Saul even considered David to begin with, but maybe he's just going through the process because he did offer an open reward for anyone who wanted to volunteer. So he is going through the motions. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it, and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard, and struck, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. Now, now that's good enough for, you know, I grew up in East Tennessee. I Ever heard the song, Davy, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier? That's a Davy Crockett story if I ever heard one. But in this case, I believe him. I actually believe that David did fight off the lion and the bear that got his sheep. And he had a stick in his hand and he whacked it and he just went after it. And uh, I don't think he was as strong as Samson, but he did at least save his sheep by doing this. That took a lot of bravery on his part. He was not gonna leave any of his sheep to be killed if he could stop it. So he says in verse 36, your servant has killed both lion and bear and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. One thing about David, he knows that he's not going alone. He knows that this Goliath is defying the armies of the living God. That's what he just said. I defy you and Israel is literally the nation that God set up for himself. So he's not just insulting Israel, he's insulting the God of Israel. Moreover, David said, the Lord deliver me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So Saul makes a decision here. Now, I have a theory. I think Saul was trying to play both sides here, I could be wrong. But I think Saul says, I know I don't have a guy I can beat Goliath, but if I send out this teenager and he goes, well, then we'll all have an excuse. Oh yeah, you you, you hit one of our, our kids. You're really tough, Goliath. So I'm thinking Saul, who, who had a reputation for breaking his word, I'm thinking he's basically saying, maybe uh, we'll just see if maybe David gets lucky and who knows what might happen. So then we read the story about Saul putting on his own armor and and you read for yourself a little later here, you can see that he puts on all this armor, but David says, I can't wear it, I've never practiced with it, I'm not not able to do this. So instead, David takes the army and uh, in verse 40, then he took his, his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. So he he's very lightweight. He doesn't have armor. He's very speedy. He gets the five smooth stones. Many preachers have suggested that the reason David had five stones was the was due to the fact that one was for Goliath and four were for Goliath's brothers, who he had four brothers. So that may or may not be the case. Or David may have just said, I need to have some backups in case I miss, who knows? But he was confident nonetheless, and he was brave. So he goes up to this giant and verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield went before him And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, which means he treated him with contempt or even worse. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking, which means he had a reddish complexion. He was a fine looking lad, but he was not a warrior looking fellow. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? and the Philistine cursed David by his gods. So he made all this language which the Bible conveniently doesn't record. Thank God it doesn't, but I'm sure that if it was in modern language, it'd be very bad language. And the Philistine said to David, "'Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds "'of the air and the beasts of the field.'" That's quite a boast. And normally you have to say you would think that's likely Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. The thing is about David is he knew something that the rest of the men didn't know. Most of the rest of the men saw Goliath as too big to fail. David saw him as too big to miss. And I feel that David was so confident that he just boldly told him, hey, this battle is not my battle. This is the Lord's battle. You've insulted God, so God's gonna use me and you're going to die. So it says here in verse 47, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So in most of the times when I preach this sermon and I would say most preachers do the same thing, We try to say how you could be David in this story. I mean, how can we be like David? But I want to remind you that it took years of preparation for David to be ready for this moment. His years of preparation met a moment of opportunity. The question is, if the moment of opportunity hits you today, do you have enough years of preparation behind you that you're ready for it? That's the real question. Because David, though he was a young man, had spent his years wisely. He had meditated on God's love. He had made music to the Lord. He had praised the Lord. He had been faithful to his family. He was faithful over his flock. He was faithful. And, and because of this pattern in his life and his personal discipline and character and the fact that he was well-spoken as also, these things all made David perfectly ready for this battle, the battle between David and Goliath. So we find in verse 48, the story continues. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. David's not running away from it. He's running to it. It kind of reminds me of the last week of Jesus before he died. Most of the time, Jesus would lag behind and walk in the crowd and his disciples would lead the way. This was the normal way he would walk. It was very casual. He didn't like ever really get in a hurry unless it was the the week before he was going to die. And on that trip up the hill to Jerusalem, Jesus led the way and was walking fast. I think that it's amazing that when God's anointed is seeing his opportunity to do something, he's not gonna hold back, he's gonna run to the the battle. And that's what Jesus did, and that's what David did here. He runs toward uh, David. It says he hurried. You know, most of us will be hurrying to get out of there. I know I would, but he hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and he slung it. Now think about this for a moment because it's hard for people to realize, but if you've ever done research on this, you, you realize that that sling is being released and is going about 105 feet per second. That's pretty fast, but that also the rock that's in there carries enough energy that it's the same energy of a nine millimeter bullet has. So uh, in a, in a uh, probably a small pistol would have the same type of uh, force, but it's going slower, but it's a bigger rock. And so he's slinging that thing and he, I mean, he's getting the, the momentum up and he releases it. I've seen videos of people who've actually thrown similar type slings and and and, and They'll take a watermelon or whatever, just totally bust open the watermelon because except in this case, it hits Goliath right between the eyes. And that's what happens. He struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him but there was no sword in the hand of David." Now, what, what did David promise? He says, I'm gonna get your head and I'm going to uh, use it as a trophy, basically. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, the Philistine's sword, and drew it out of its sheath and killed him. And some people say, well, I thought he killed him with the rock. Well, it knocked him out, but the final coup de grace was cutting off his head. of the time when your head gets chopped off, you die. I mean, 90% at least, probably more. (laughs) So he ensured that that man was dead and he was dead, no doubt about it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Sometimes to defeat any enemy, you gotta just defeat the leader. You gotta defeat the one who's making things happen. If you defeat the leader, then you can pretty much deal with everybody else. Now, the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron, another Philistine city. And the wounded of the Philistines fell among the road to uh, Sharaim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their tents. It was a great victory. So not only does David win the victory over Goliath, but the army wins the victory over the enemy and gets all their stuff, which is how the armies got paid. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? In other words, who's his daddy? Because he had forgotten. Now, uh, some people have said, well, how did he forget this? Well, let me ask you a question. Don't you think that a king has a lot of correspondence? I would say so. Do you remember all the names of the people you've done business with in the past year? Could you just say, oh, that's so-and-so? Probably not. I think Saul just forgot Jesse's name. But he does say here, he he talks to Abner, who was the commander of the army. And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So that tells him who his daddy was. So this story, part 3 of David, is one of the greatest stories. He is young, he's inexperienced, but was he inexperienced? He knew how to fire that uh, stone, he knew how to he how many Hours had he spent in the wilderness using that stone to probably hit birds or small animals. Who knows? Jackals, whatever was attacking, he could hit them with that rock. And boy, I wouldn't want to get hit with one of those slings. It's kind of like getting hit at a golf ball at point blank range. I don't know too many people that want to stand in front of a professional golfer and let a professional golfer hit them with a golf ball within 10 or 20 yards. That would be severely problematic, especially if it hits you in the head. And people have gotten hurt, even on something like a golf ball. So David succeeds, he wins this great battle, he's raised to new heights, he's now a hero. When we next study David though, we're gonna learn in part four about the risks uh, and also the dangers of being successful because sometimes it's not what it's all cracked up to be. When you get to be successful, and we're going to learn that that's true of David's life, and he's going to have many, many, many problems before he ever gets to be king, even though he was anointed to be king by Samuel. Today we are in the, the period of time Thanksgiving and Christmas season. We are we have our 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 room is decorated here with Christmas. Uh, decorations. Very beautiful. But we are doing this in honor of Jesus, a, a, a baby that was born in Bethlehem and the same home of David. And we're going to study about David, the great forefather of Jesus, and why Jesus is the ultimate reason for the season. Let's bow our heads to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you today for David's life. Thank you that he was faithful. Thank you that you provided the opportunity for him to save his people and and thousands of lives because of his bravery. And please, Lord, would you help us to do the preparation necessary so that when those giants threaten us, we will be like David and be able to stand and be counted and fight, not with our own power, but with the power of the Lord himself. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.